Welcome back in to episode 15 of the Dependable Dad podcast. Uh, Jeff Delzell here again with my client, Remy. Remy is here uh, as he was for part two of this series on building your exercise program. So part one and part two, if you haven't seen those already, are uh, I think episodes 11 and 13. So take a look at those part one and part two because that those will absolutely set the foundation for what we're going to talk about today. Today is going to get a little bit more nuanced and build on those. Um, but today we're going to be diving into part three and this should kind of conclude this part of it. We may do an entire other episode likely on cardio slash conditioning, um, but we'll touch on that at the end of the episode today. But Remini, welcome in. Thanks for joining me again, bud. Yeah, Jeff, great to be here. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, I don't. I really enjoyed uh, having somebody that I was talking to last time versus just talking to my computer. So um, I appreciate Remy coming on, and I feel like he asks good questions and helps make sure that uh, helps me make sure that I'm making sense with what I'm saying because it makes sense in my head oftentimes. But to come into uh, does it make sense to to everybody else, um, which is important. So. I uh, appreciate him being here. Um, hopefully, he can ask uh, the questions that maybe you're thinking <laughs> as I'm as I'm going through this. But um, so again, I want to just kind of very quickly rehash the things that we talked about last week and kind of set us up for or last not last week. This was a while ago now, but when when the last time we did this was and set us up for today. So the thing that we really f- started part two off with, which was so part one, we talked about setting up your schedule appropriately, choosing what sort of muscle split makes the most sense for your schedule, how to do rest days, how to adjust when life gets in the way, all of that. That's what we did. So that's a big, big component of it. Should I do total body? Should I do upper body, lower body? Should I do a muscle split, push pull legs, whatever. All of that's in part one, setting yourself up for success because sticking with it is the key to longevity and and seeing long-term results in this. You can have the best plan in the world, but if you don't stick with it, it, it's worthless. Part two, we really started to dig into, all right, what do these workouts look like? And we talked about the four buckets of a workout, the four components that kind of make up an entire workout, which are, again, and we talked about the order of importance. And then we'll talk, and we talked a little bit about how workout structures are built in. So order of importance Mobility first, your ability to move well. Then second is strength, your ability to move well with load, move load well. That's weight or um, even your body weight is a load. The third bucket is power, your ability to move load with force or speed. So those are explosive type movements. And we're going to spend a good chunk of time on power today and why it's important, particularly for adults because I think that we can really get into all right that's an athlete thing power being explosive that's an athlete thing and Remy's an athlete he plays he played college basketball and and you know wants to be able to do all of that but it's even more important for the people who aren't playing that and I'll get to why in a little bit and then the fourth bucket is conditioning because again if we structure the rest of the workout well um, we can oftentimes get conditioning as part of that so again, we're gonna when we're thinking about building out a workout, okay, we talk so that's the order of importance. When we talk about building out a workout, we do our mobility first, 
then we do our power work unless we're doing a specific uh, method or, or structure where we're kind of pairing some exercises, contrast training, things like that. But those are a little bit more advanced and not something we're going to dive into uh, today or maybe even ever on this podcast because there's a very small group of people where that's going to uh, have a, a lot of value. But next is going to be power because, again, central nervous system wise, that's going to be where we we want to start our workout with the things that are going to be the most taxing on our central nervous system. And we'll get to that in a little bit as we talk about exercise order, exercise selection, and all of that. Because as you exercise, you get tired. That's the quite simple piece of it. And that's your central nervous system. Your body has only so much capacity to do work hard. And so to prevent injury, we want to do the hardest stuff when we are the freshest, when we have the most energy, the most kind of bandwidth for it within our central nervous system so that we can get the most out of it. Power is the most exerting, particularly on your central nervous system. It's the most explosive in terms of force. (coughs) Excuse me. Which, again, going back to your high school physics lessons, is mass times acceleration. All right, force is mass times acceleration. So it's how much weight are you moving and how fast are you moving it, right? So power is really focusing on the acceleration part, but you're also moving mass with that acceleration, right? So force, a lot of force, a lot of exertion. Then we go a little bit later on and we'll talk, we'll bring that back around when we talk about exercise order when we get to the strength component, which comes after power, and then you finish with conditioning. Because again, conditioning is going to be the least taxing on your central nervous system. You might feel more most exhausted, um, you know, by doing whatever the assault bike or something like that for 40 seconds on 20 seconds off or try to do a mile and as fast as you can, you might be exhausted cardiovascularly, but your central nervous system is not necessarily going to be taxed. And the central nervous system is the feeling that you like, if you've taxed that, that's the feeling that you ever get where you're like kind of wobbly when you stand up, not like I'm dizzy or I'm like going to throw up kind of thing. Like not that piece, but like you, you actually feel like you don't have your full capabilities, your full faculties around you a little bit drunk. Yeah. Like a little bit like, Oh, I'm, I, I don't have it all together here. That's when you know your central nervous system is taxed. So that's kind of the game plan for today. So we really want to dive into power now. So talk about mobility again, Listen back to part two. You did your mobility warm up. You're ready to rock and roll. Now we're going to get into our explosive movements. Now, power lives in, in really, I kind of categorize it into two different categories. So there's light implement power and there's heavy implement power. Implement just meaning the tool that you're using. So, and light implement power also includes body weight. So it's just, this is lighter things that you're doing. Most common tool is going to be medicine balls. Right, so I'm doing a medicine ball throw. So this is a weighted ball, anywhere from, you know, some of them are two pounds all the way up to, I've seen 25 pound med balls, right? I would not necessarily recommend for the vast majority of exercises to using anything over than, you know, 12 pounds. Um, but the idea of this is we're going to throw this ball in some way, shape, or form hard. So I'm going to move this weight 
hard. I'm going to throw the med ball to the wall, to the floor, whatever it is. And what that does is oftentimes it's upper body mostly dominant, but it usually you can incorporate your lower body into it, particularly with rotational med ball throws, things like that. And the idea that I'm going to move this weight quickly. Also included in that are going to be any sort of plyometric movement or jumping. Jumping, hopping, bounding, all those phrases are going to be light implement because it's your body weight is what you're doing. And then the last one that falls into this category, also another one that kind of similar to that would be like a ladder drill. And people often don't think about ladder drills as power, but particularly as we get older, the idea of power, particularly with your lower body, with the jumping and the ladders and all of this, the purpose of it, and this is why it's so vitally important for people to get older, is it it teaches you, it's not about how high you jump or how quickly you make it through the ladder, it's your ability to land, particularly in different planes in different movements. So Remy is actually just coming back off of an ankle injury, rolled his ankle. Great example of this, right? So we've been talking about this. Remy's coming back off an ankle injury. And so he wants to get back to playing basketball. Well, One of the biggest things for basketball is his ability to land and cut and change direction, right? So that's basketball scenario. He needs to be able to land on one foot, stop his movement, his body weight in that direction, stop it, and then turn back the other way. That's a cut, right? He jumps up for a shot and he lands on one foot. He lands on two feet. He lands a little bit off balance. The ability to do that and not roll his ankle again is incredibly important. So you're training your ability to land. How does that play itself out if you're not playing basketball? Well, you and I live in New England, Remy, in the winter. It's icy. You slip and you have to catch yourself. You catch yourself with your foot. You catch yourself with your hand. You trip and fall. So this is an alarming statistic. I'm going to pull it up so I make sure I get it right. Um, But one of the most common injuries over 65, I have to get this up so I do it right. Hang on. So 95% of hip fractures in adults come as a result of a fall. And I think almost everybody here has somebody that they've, known or been related to who's an adult who has fallen and broken their hip okay you slip down the stairs and as we get older our ability to recover from that is compromised because we haven't been training our ability to land on one foot or catch ourselves with a you know on the railing or just land weird right and so we we can fall and break a hip and this is the scary part one in three adults over the age of 50, who breaks their hip, dies within 12 months. Wow. (laughs) So this is not a small deal, right? Your ability to, like, I'm not not being hyperbolic or or over-exaggerating this when I say, your ability to land safely in various directions, in various planes, on one or two feet, could literally save your life. And training power 
actually, this is so we've we've probably heard that your strength starts to to decrease after the age of fifty, right? It decreases. Power, which is your ability to absorb and and create force, which is what we're talking about here, decreases by four times the rate of strength. I need to make a quick correction to that. So it's actually twice as fast, not four times. I just wanted to make sure I clarified that. It's still an alarming statistic, um, but we lose power at twice the rate that we lose speed, not four times. I wanted to make sure that I said that correctly, and that was a misspeak in that same period. So as much as you're like, oh, I'm, I'm worried about my strength deteriorating, your power is deteriorating four times faster. So this this is a very slippery slope to go the other direction when it comes to power and our ability to land safely. And this is the thing that we get into. Like, I'll tell this story. A mentor of mine in college, he's like 42, 43 years old, and used to play basketball all the time, right? But hadn't, you know, kind of gotten away from his athleticism for a while, but was like, yeah, I can, I can come out and hoop with you guys. So it was me and a couple buddies were like 22, 22 years old and we're outside playing basketball, right? Two on two. And he jumps up for a layup, comes down, lands, snaps his Achilles, like clean oh. snap. And it wasn't that he did anything. He didn't land on it weird. Like he literally just landed, but his body was not used to landing. And so this is the other side of it. We do the things that we think we should be able to do, but we haven't been training for it. And we're not right. as pliable as we used to be. Injuries are real things. And so particularly if we have kids, right? And we try to do the things with our kids as they get older, chase them around, play games with them, whatever it is, and then we try to do the things and we haven't been training for it, then it's a really quick way to injury. So power is one of the most important injury prevention components to training that there is. And it's chronically undertrained in adults who actually need it more. Athletes are naturally explosive because they're doing explosive things all the time. Like you play basketball in college. You were jumping all the friggin' time, right? So it's it's important for you to train bas you know, that way because we want to prevent injury and all this kind of thing. But you're doing it naturally in your day-to-day -day life. We're not right. jumping in our day-to-day -day lives. We're sitting at desks. We're walking around. We're interacting with people. We're not jumping. We're not naturally landing on one foot. And so when the circumstance comes that we have to land on one foot, we are not prepared for it. And our body is not trained for it. And we it leads to just sometimes horrific injuries. It is 10 years later, and that guy's ankle is still not the same. 10 years later. Like, you'll just you never... And, and again the the statistic of people falling and you break your hip and, and you just like you're on a cane or you're in a wheelchair or you quite literally die because you can't recover from it it's it is not a small deal to train power and so power can look it doesn't have to look like oh i'm jumping to a you know doing the stupid instagram videos i'm jumping to a 55 inch box right it could be something quite as simple as I'm going to go through a ladder, like a, an agility ladder, not as fast as I can, but I'm going to stick each landing. It's my ability to like, I'm stopping on one foot and I'm changing direction and going the other way, right? 
So as we're coming back from your injury, you're doing ladder drills. It's not about how quickly can you get through this thing. It's your ability to stop and own the ability to land on one foot. Yeah. I, I have a question, Jeff, about, about power yeah. real quick. If, if I'm hearing you right, it's, it's not about the weight you're moving by any means. It's about doing it with energy, with, with intensity, and with intention yes. as well, right? 100%. No, so the acceleration piece of the force equation is far more important with power. So it's better for you if you have a med ball to throw a six-pound med ball really, really fast than to throw a 10-pound med ball kind of okay, right? Got it. I tell people when they're throwing med balls, I'm like, throw it through the wall. Throw it through the floor to the center of the earth. Yeah, right? you're not like, doing that with a 25-pounder. <laughs> no, like imagine that there was – like if you think about what – and again, I'm not like – you know, imagine this was a weapon, right? And you were trying to hurt somebody. Throwing a 25-pound med ball kind of slow but at them, like that's not going to really hurt anybody. But you could like – you could knock somebody out throwing a 6-pound med ball as hard as you possibly can, right? Like that's going to have more energy behind it. The intensity is – is such an important part. In the same way, it's not as important how high you jump, right? You get all the, all the stupid stuff on Instagram of people like, oh, I'm going to jump you know, over a person. That's not the point because the point is not the jump. The point is the land. The point is can I land with stability? Can I land with stability in different planes? So jumping linearly or straightforward, jumping laterally, sideways, jumping at an angle like 45 degrees, landing on two feet, landing on one foot, landing on my same foot, landing on my opposite foot. And one of the best ways to do this, people un misunderstand box jumps all the time. First of all, box jumps are not cardio. All right. Sorry, CrossFitters. Box jumps are not cardio. It's a really easy way to get injured, right? Because this is a high central nervous system demand thing. At some point, they stop looking like box jumps, right? And anybody who's done like 15 box jumps has like not gotten up onto the box on the 15th one and like yeah. scraped their shin all up because they're like exhausted because you can't jump continuously for that amount of time. It's just not, it's not what it's meant to be. But the point of a box jump is actually to take half of the gravity force off of the landing. So let's think about this for a second. If I jumped to a 12-inch box, I jumped up on it and I landed on the 12-inch box, I saved my feet, ankles, knees, everything, 12 inches of impact with the ground versus if I had just jumped off of the ground and landed on it. I took 12 inches off. So don't jump down off of the box after you've done the box jump. Step down off because the whole point is to not have the extra impact. And so now I can start to jump. So when you're starting out, right, we're jumping, we're having you jump two feet, landing on one foot, which is an important part, your ability to land, but we're doing it onto a box because we're trying to save you six inches, 12 inches, 18 inches of impact so that we're, we're lowering the impact, but we're practicing the landing. And so if you can't land confidently so you get people who jump up onto these boxes but it looks like really sketchy and they basically fall off the thing or you know they're barely making it on and they're almost going to fall on their face i'm like go to a smaller box jump jump the same height right if you're if you're like barely making it over an 18 inch box just jump to a 12 inch box and jump like you're jumping to an 18 inch box 
and get the little, you know, but you're less likely to hurt yourself because the whole point of power is injury prevention. So don't hurt yourself trying to jump to a higher box. But the intensity is in the landing, right? And then once you command, all right, I can jump to a 12-inch box and land on two feet, one foot. I can jump from one foot and land on one foot or a six-inch box or a three-inch box, right? doesn't matter the height of the thing. Then you can start to do it on the floor. So now we add back in that distance. So that's where it's like jumping over a hurdle, like a six-inch hurdle. So now I've added, I have that same target, but I'm landing still on one foot, but I've added the six inches, so now it's more impact, and I'm practicing landing more on that place. All of that is incredibly, incredibly important. So this falls into, jumping in particular, falls into one of three categories. You are jumping, you're hopping, or you're bounding. Okay? Jumping is you're jumping off of the same amount of feet as you're landing on. Okay, it's usually two to two, all right? Hopping is you're doing one foot the whole way through. And then bounding is you're going from one foot to the other foot. So I jump from my left foot to my right foot, okay? This is, and all of those have great value. And we want to be able to do these in all the different planes. Linear forward, lateral sideways, 45 degrees, or even rotational. Because, again, things get twisted and all this kind of stuff. If we're practicing those things, then our, our, the chances that we get hurt are drastically diminished. I, there has not been a great study done on the impact of power training on injury prevention because it's, there's so many different factors, right? But there are so many stories that I have and that other coaches have, people who have trained power, and it's it saved them from a very serious injury because they slipped and they they were able to catch themselves with their feet or with their hand or whatever because their body's used to absorbing force. I'd actually never heard of the, the those the differences between jumping, uh, hopping, and, and bounding. So that's that's helpful. And when that's body weight, it's that's still in the light the light category yeah. of power, right? Okay. Yeah, your body weight is is to some degree a light implement. Okay. And then the last one, light implement. So this is basically non-weighted when I think about light implement, like not like using yeah. like a heavy weight. And the last one is, and this is like underrated in terms of a power exercise, in terms of output per time is sprinting. Mm. Like straight line sprinting, not like running wind sprints like you're doing for conditioning, but like I'm going to sprint for 10, 15 yards, okay, or meters if you're listening to this in one of those metric people places, but they're basically the same measurement, right? So I'm going to sprint hard because, again, this sprinting takes, there's so many studies, it is the most, every bit of you, your central nervous system is the most taxed with this. But, again, all of the things that are required to sprint and again, you have to build up to this. You have to absolutely build up to sprinting. But And also, sprinting is relative. Sprinting is about effort. So I have, when I used to coach football, we had a 375-pound nose tackle. And we used to do, like, sprints. And this kid was, as you would expect, probably the slowest kid on the team. Right? He's just moving the most amount of body. And so he's, he's one of the slowest kids on the team. 
but you'd have the wide receivers out there who'd kind of just be cruising, right? They're not really running that hard, but they'd be at the front of the pack, and so they could kind of just hide in, and he's at the end behind everybody else. But he's working, right? He was always he was a captain. He was always he was going as hard as he could. And one of the coaches said one time, he's like, listen, he's sprinting. He's sprinting. The rest of you are not sprinting. He's getting better because he's pushing his maximum envelope. The rest of you are not. So just because you're faster doesn't mean that you're getting better. Sprinting is about effort. And so going maximum effort for a short period of time because it recruits all of the muscles. It recruits all of the ability to start, stop, all of these kinds of things. But again, you have to build up to this, right? So if you haven't been running at all, don't just go out and sprint. Okay, but... Sprinting is an incredibly valuable thing to do, and you need to recover appropriately from all of this. So I'll get to that piece in a second, um, is recovering appropriately from, from these things to be able to do them well. Why do you think sprinting is so underrated? Cause is, is it just because it sucks? People no, like because do it, it doesn't suck. Like, if you just, like, yeah. if you literally go out and run, like, 10, like, that's, you're not tired. Yeah. Really. Like, after you go run, like... Running wind sprints sucks. Like shuttle runs, like that sucks. But like going out and just be like, I'm gonna run ten yards as fast as I possibly can. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna rest two and a half minutes, and then I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna rest two and a half minutes, and I'm gonna do it another time, and that's gonna be the end of it. Right. That doesn't feel like you did a lot. Right. Like you didn't run very. You're not tired. All these kinds of things. But it's. It's the same reason why people underestimate, like, why people want to jump to the highest box. Yeah. Why people want to throw the heaviest med ball. Because you want to feel like, oh, I worked hard and I did whatever. And and the, the challenge is not working hard. The challenge is getting better. Like, you want to work hard, but a pro, hard is relative. And you get better by doing things strategically. And so sprinting is is really, really underrated. Um and for athletes too, right? To get faster, you just you have to run fast, like yeah, and you have to practice running fast. Because think about on a basketball court, what's the furthest that you run in a straight line on a basketball court? It's probably ten yards, fifteen yeah. at the most. Like if you're taking it end to end and nobody gets in your way, that's probably about fifteen twenty yards. Yeah. I don't even remember how long a basketball. So it's like it's not like we do this all that often. It's not like if I'm going to chase my kid down. So like here's another situation, right? So again, taking this to a really functional thing. All right, I'm playing with my kid and I want to play chase. All right, I'm going to go run, do it, okay? But like emergency situation. My kid is running into the road. I have to go from zero to full speed as fast as possible. I want to be trained for that. Yeah. I don't want that to be the moment that I I pull a hamstring because my body's not used to going full speed. Right. You know, like and then there's the fun side of it. So like I I tell this story sometimes when I was uh in like oh, I was like 9 or 10 years old, I was playing baseball, my dad was my coach. And he was teaching us like how to run the bases faster, right? Like you got to hit this at an angle, you hit the inside of the bag and all this kind of stuff, right? And so we were doing like timed around the bases, right? Who can run the around the bases the fastest? And he was like, I'm going to beat all of you. Like this is my, my dad's like 40 years old at this time, 40, 42 years old. And this is similar to the, my mentor, Tom, who, who had this, his Achilles pop. 
So my dad goes running around the bases, right? Beats beats everybody's time. Dives head first into home plate, slides the whole deal. Like we're all you know nine year old, ten year old us. We're like, oh, that's so fun. He could not get off the couch for a week and a half. And it's not like he was being like he literally could not get off the couch for a week and a half. So while that was a fun moment, he missed out on a lot of other fun moments because he wasn't able to do that. So it'd be nice for him to be able to be like, hey, I'm going to show you how to do this and then not hurt himself doing it. You know what I mean? So last thing when we're thinking about power, because of the intensity of this, volume is not the game. All right. Intensity is. So we're talking about like three to five reps, like five throws per side, maybe 10 if you're doing like a overhead slam or something like that. Three to five jumps per leg or total. One sprint. And what I like to do is if I'm doing something where I'm going to do all three, I'm going to do, I'm going to pair, I like to pair a med ball with a jump with a sprint. So I do my med ball. I take, you know, 30 seconds or something. I make my way over to my jump. I do my jump. Wait another 60 seconds. I go do my sprint. Then I wait another 60 seconds. So by the time I've gotten back to my med ball, it's been probably three minutes since I've done a med ball thing. My upper body's refreshed. This is the similar to what we talked about with how we can group together exercise. Excuse me. Group together exercises for a total body workout. But we need to take more rest in between the exercises because your central nervous system is being taxed. So this is an important piece. We just did a lot. Man, I can just go off on this stuff here. We're like <laughs> 30 minutes in and we just hit the end of Light Implement Power. We might have to do a fourth episode. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be more efficient here. Um, so heavy implement power is similar concepts, similar importance. Okay, but now we can use some weighted tools. And this is less important as you get older, but it can have some value. Now, it's not the same thing as what you would do with an athlete, right? An athlete, you might do things like hang cleans or... You know, those types of things. We're not necessarily doing a lot of that stuff as an adult, but doing weighted jumps after I've gotten to a certain point, doing like I'm holding, you know, two 15 or 20 pound dumbbells at my side and I'm doing a jump and then I'm landing now with some additional weight. So again, you think about the two parts of the equation, mass times acceleration. I can add some mass as long as I'm keeping some of that acceleration, right? So am I still actually getting off the ground or am I just kind of fake getting off the ground? Right, so if I'm commanding my body weight, then I can potentially add some additional uh, mass there. And this is particularly valuable for upper body power, which has a little bit less of the life-saving implications. Not that it's not, right? You fall and you land on your wrists, right? Your ability to like not break your wrists can be impacted, but it's not quite the same thing as like, you know, landing on your on your feet. But Doing things like uh, a push press, so like I have a dumbbell at my shoulder and I'm going to do an overhead press, but I'm going to use my legs a little bit and explode up. I'm going to try to go as fast as I can. You can Google these exercises if you're not sure what they are. Or even a jerk press with a landmine I really like for adults is another good one to do. Um, or even with a sled, like an explosive sled row. So we, I put like TRX straps on the sled, lightweight on it, and I use my lower body and I pull very quickly that's like functional for like starting your lawnmower <laughs> you know what i mean like things like that that it's like okay i don't want to like 
do a hernia or something like that. And also, just as a little asterisk on this, if you do play a sport, common sports for adults are golf and tennis, skiing, right? Those things. These This power stuff is incredibly important for that, right? Golf, right? Obviously, I'm going to do some of this this stuff to, to rotate through with power, right? Tennis, same thing. Skiing, injury prevention, to be able to like shift my weight from one side to the other without kind of catch, or if I do a fall when skiing, all of these things. So it's not just like, oh, the, the random things that happen. Some of this stuff when we're being active in our day-to-day lives can have a lot of value. So if you're doing, building out your workout, you guys, your mobility, you do your light implement power, then you do a, a heavy implement power. I usually group that with, you know, a corrective type exercise. We talked about some of these before, like a face pull or band pull apart for my upper body, a mini band walk or something like that for my lower body. And then maybe a core exercise, you know, whatever shoulder tap planks or something like that with a heavy implement. So that's how you could go boom, boom. And now we're into strength. Is that power? That's kind of the power segment of of this pod that makes sense yeah it makes sense i'm excited to hear about the difference between power and strength now yeah so again we talked about a lot about strength before but again strength are going to be these movements where we're not necessarily moving the weight super fast but now we're focusing more on the mass side of the force equation. So we're not necessarily thinking about how quickly do we move it. We want to move it under control. Sometimes we even want to move it slow. Okay. But we're focusing more on the mass side of it and, and that tension piece that we're going to do. So again, we, we did a whole couple examples of a total body workout in episode two. So we could go like, if you took those, put it right after the example that I just said, Right. And now we're into, and then we'd throw conditioning at the end. You have a total body workout and you could do that two, three days a week and you're, and you're off to the races and exercise order tends to matter a little bit less with total body workouts. It is somewhat relevant. And we'll talk about what that looks like in a, in a little bit, but it's less relevant because we're going to end up kind of being able to rest our, our muscles you know, we're not over hitting our muscles. We're hitting our muscle groups or our movement patterns only one time, oftentimes in a total body versus multiple times if we're doing an upper body, lower body split or a push-pull leg split or something like that. But coming back to the central nervous system part of this, because this is where exercise order comes into play. We need to continue to take advantage of the fact that now we've done our power stuff. Our central nervous system, we have a cup, right? We have a, We have a... 16 ounce cup filled with water when we start our workout we've depleted you know two to four ounces of it with our power work so now we have 12 ounces of of energy capacity left for our workout we need to prioritize then the things that are going to cost us the most energy now while we have the most amount in the tank so this is where the highest work capacity major movement pattern compound exercises, potentially the the absolute strength, quote unquote, type exercises are going to go at the beginning of the strength portion of your workout. Meaning, there are rep ranges that kind of tend to have 
different roles in terms of what it is that they do. Now they all play, they all do all of these things. Okay. But they have like a priority thing. So there's strength, there's muscle building, and then there's muscle endurance. All three are important. All three have value and all three can be trained using any rep range, depending on how you do it. However, the general accepted rule is that you're going to build strength. You know, you don't really build it below three reps. I usually like to not go much more below five unless you're somebody who is training to be some sort of power lifter or things like that. Um, because again, when you start getting into like three repetitions, like the weight starts to be really generally pretty heavy. And the challenge with that is where's the risk reward? <laughs> right. Um, which we talked about before. Like if I'm gonna if I'm gonna deadlift appropriately difficult for three reps, I'm gonna have to put on more weight than if I was gonna deadlift appropriately difficult at five reps. And so I'm I'm just moving less weight, total weight. Your work capacity, right? Reps times weight right you you it might equal out however just the absolute weight that i'm putting on my body i can i like i tend to err on the side of caution like hey how can we get the same result with less external weight because we've lowered the risk profile of the exercise so i tend to not go below 5 reps but some will go as low as 3 for building strength so i say anywhere from 5 to 8 ish reps tends to be kind of your strength building rep range, meaning that the pr most prominent benefit of doing exercises in that rep range is that you are building your strength, which again has all sorts of values. You're getting stronger. You're going to feel more capable. You're going to be able to lift heavier things. You're going to be able to, you know, longevity, all these kinds of things. That does not mean that it also does not build your build muscle. If you're training in that rep range, you're absolutely going to build muscle and you're also going to build your, your endurance. You're not going to build it to the same degree, right? Like a 400 meter running person, somebody who runs the 400 in track has good endurance. They don't have the same endurance of somebody who runs the mile, but they have good endurance and they have a different kind of endurance than the person who runs the mile. Right. right. So if I'm training for a 400, I'm going to train for it differently than if I am training for the mile. That's the best example that I can give with that. So some of this is going to depend on your goals, but training in that five to eight rep range tends to prominently put the emphasis on the strength portion of it. Because we are in that lower rep range, we are going to be doing heavier weights, which are going to be more taxing on our central nervous system. So those tend to want to come first in the strength portion of our workout. And they also want to tend to be the biggest compound, meaning multiple joint movement, multiple muscle groups, multiple joint movement patterns that we can have. And we've talked about what these are um, in the previous pod, but like for your lower body, some sort of a squat, whether it's bilateral, like a front squat or something like that, again, I tend to, just as a quick, I tend to get away from heavy bilateral, meaning two legs squatting for most adults. Because again, the 
what do I have to put on my on my spine in order to load this appropriately? Um, but if you don't have issues, that's fine. Um, certainly if you're training to power lift, but I kind of get away from, all right, we're going to do a set of five reps back squat for anybody over the age of like 25. Not to say that you can't do it or anybody who puts that in there is wrong. I have plenty of people who I respect in the industry who would do that. Um, I just don't, from a risk reward perspective, do that with any clients or for myself. So the other common movement pattern that I would put in there, most likely for the squatting thing, again, we talked about bilateral versus unilateral, I would do some version of a split squat. So a split squat, a Bulgarian split squat, a reverse lunge, something, that would be my big squatting type movement that would be in there. From a uh, from a, a hip hinge perspective, most commonly you're going to get some form of a deadlift in this. Um, again, I get away from barbell deadlifts for most people that are get older, again, for the same thing. Trap bar deadlift I prefer. Um, and even past a certain point, you're better off doing, for most people, a single leg variation, single leg RDLs or something like that. But any of those could be fine in there because you can start to build up your your load capacity for single leg deadlifts. Like I have people who can, the benefit of the single leg stuff, and I don't think I touched on this too much. The benefit of the single leg stuff is at some point, you are going to be able to lift more load on one leg than you could if you were to double it and do it with both legs. So as an example, and this is not like a brag for me, by any means, I can single leg deadlift. I did recently 100 pound dumbbell in each hands for six reps. That is 200 external pounds, single leg deadlift. I am not on purely one leg. I am not RDLing Romanian deadlifting with both legs, 400 pounds for six reps. I might be able to, but certainly not without like you know, heavy, like think about all the other factors that come into play there. Yeah. Okay. Like my back and my grip strength and all of these things. It's not to say that it's bad if you do those things, but like, I would much rather lower the external load with the same working capacity on it. Or another example, Bulgarian split squats. Again, this is not a, like trying to brag or anything like that. I did hundred pound dumbbells plus a 40 pound weight vest for six reps per leg. So that's 240 external pounds, a 480 pound squat for six reps. I just don't have any desire to do that. <laughs> like the, the risk reward for that is just not there for me. Like I, I just turn a little bit the wrong way and I'm in, I'm in deep trouble. Yeah. And so, but if I, if I can't get the Bulgarian split squat up with that weight, I just drop the dumbbells and I'm fine. And I'm also doing it with half the load, like literally half the load. So that's my kind of argument for single leg work. Um, plus it's way more functional. You do more stuff on one leg than two legs. That's not to say that two leg stuff is bad. I do think it's an important part of your workout, but I tend to put it later in the workout than maybe most mm -hmm. trainers do because I tend to want to put the, do a little bit higher rep with a little bit lower weight for the bilateral stuff. Um, but that's just my preference, but you can, you will absolutely see people do like, all right, you're going to do your bench press. That's a common pressing one or an overhead press. Um, you're going to do your squat. You're going to do your deadlift. 
That's your first exercise. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just tend to swap it out for a single leg version or a dumbbell version because it tends to be more joint friendly and you can do less external load. And most people don't really care how much weight they lift at this point, at my point in my life. Like, I don't care how much weight I lift. I just want to be able to chase my kid around. Right. So high work capacity stuff, upper body, I set a bench press or an overhead press pull it for pushing stuff or pulling stuff, usually a chin-up variation or a rowing variation. Those can kind of tend to be up there. So in the total body setup, your first grouping of three exercises that we talked about might be like Bulgarian split squats, dumbbell bench press, you know, and a side plank or something like that. Like those are going to be the heavier ones at the beginning. And then we'll go to some lighter ones, which we'll talk about in a second. And we might be a little bit lower rep range in that first grouping versus the second grouping. If you're doing an upper body, lower body, same thing. I could do, all right, my first exercise for a lower body day is Bulgarian split squats. My second exercise is a, you know, and I'm doing five reps each leg. My second exercise is, you know, a single leg deadlift. I'm doing eight reps each leg, right? I kind of slowly move it up. And then I might get into a superset for my lower body day. And now I'm going to group together a, a, a squat and a hinge, but I'm going to maybe be do a little bit more muscle building. So now I'm going to get into the nine to 12 rep range, right? 10 to 12 rep range, focusing again on it's a little bit longer. I'm focusing a little bit more on what's called hypertrophy, which is like breaking down the muscle fibers. And so this is where I might put, personally, I might put a bilateral squat. So I might put a goblet squat or a front squat or a landmine squat or something like that. I might put a, a, a barbell RDL or a dumbbell RDL. I might put also, uh, I could do a single leg variation. So I could do like one leg squats or skater squats or... I could do for the, for squatting variations for the hinging stuff. This is where I might do the bent legs things. So the bridges, the bridge curls, the hip lifts, those types of things, those might live there. Okay. in that 10 to 12 rep range. And I'll talk about it. I'll do an upper body example here in a second. Then the final stage is muscular endurance. This is anything kind of 12 to 20 reps, usually 15 to 20 reps. And this is kind of like conditioning for your muscles, okay? And this tends to be where uh, isolation exercises happen. If you're doing upper body stuff, this is where, you know, your arm exercises, your like accessory shoulder exercises, like side lateral raises, things like that might fall in that, in that rip range. They can also fall in any of the other ones, but they're most commonly go there, Um and you can also kind of see a little bit of like conditioning stuff with the lower body stuff. So this is where maybe kettlebell swings for conditioning while they're a great power exercise as well, right? A, a great heavy implement cal, uh, power exercise to do it like heavy for five to 10, like five to eight really good reps. You could also do a little bit lighter kettlebell swing and do it for like 20 reps. And it's a little bit kind of conditioning muscle endurance. You can also do, um, again, a lot of bridges can be in that category and get a little bit of a burnout. That's where you kind of feel the burn type of exercises. Those are, that's kind of that muscle endurance stuff. So before I do like an upper body example, what do you think about 
that. So then, sorry, real quick. So then that would be, I would probably do, if I was blocking out my total body day, I would do the heavier stuff, the five to eight reps in my first block. I would do a little bit lighter stuff, 10 to 12 reps in my second block. And then I might do some uh, muscular endurance stuff at the end, or I might just go right into conditioning. If my conditioning is going to be a little bit muscular endurance as well. Got it. So, same concept with an upper body day, right? So now I do an upper body day and I have like, again, I'm going to have my my major compound upper body. I'm going to do like a dumbbell bench press. And then I might, I could pair that with, uh, you know, a dumbbell bent over row or a chest supported row or something like that or a chin up. You know, I could pick whatever, you know, pick your, pick your poison there, right? But I did my, now I did, let's just say I did a dumbbell bent over row, right? So I did, or a three-point row. So I did dumbbell bench and I did dumbbell bent over row. So those are my horizontals. Now in my, maybe I do a superset of A and B. I'm going to do um, a vertical stuff. So I might do, uh, you know, a single arm overhead press for 10 reps, 10 to 12 reps. And I might do, you know, a uh, half kneeling pull down for 10 to 12 reps per arm. Okay, that's my muscle building. And then I might go to my, muscular endurance and I might do, you know, whatever, dumbbell curls and tricep pushdowns and side lateral raises for 12 to 15 reps each. And I just group those together. Boom, boom, boom. And that's pretty how you can build that out. And the same concept holds true for push pull legs, except for you probably end up hitting the muscle groups, multiple, or the, those movement patterns multiple times. So for instance, a push day, I might do whatever, depending on your, what you're focusing on, I might do dumbbell bench first, and then I might do single arm overhead press second, and then I might do a superset, and, and so I did whatever, let's say five reps of dumbbell bench, I might do eight reps of single arm overhead press, then I might do a superset of whatever, 10 alternating incline presses with push-ups to technically, you know, to, for 10, and then I do tricep extensions, and, you know, plate raises for my shoulders for 12 to 15 reps. But the, you can see how those, those split groups, push-pull legs, can start to be like, all right, I'm hitting these things multiple times, and I end up being a little bit less efficient with my time because I need more rest. I can't, like, superset as well functionally doing five reps of dumbbell bench with eight reps of overhead press. I'm not going to be able to get the most out of those. Whereas I still can if I'm doing a lower body, upper body, and a core. And I still could potentially, even with my, if I did a lower body, upper body, because I'm working both sides of my, you know, of my body, um, that can work that way. So those are kind of the main components when it comes to exercise order, right? Focusing on strength and things like that. I'm going to throw one caveat in here. Okay. And this is an interesting thing that I've played around with that I heard from Joe DeFranco um, first, which is called reverse exercise order. So as you get a little bit further along and you're, and you've actually done this, you, you might not know you did this um, most recently with, with some of your programming, but as you get a little bit further on into your training, you start really kind of needing to ramp up to those strength-based exercises. Like your body needs even more time to build up to it. 
And you also tend to get to the point where you're like, my absolute capacity for what I'm able to do for this exercise is like, I, I can't central nervous system handle this anymore. So past a certain point currently for me with split squats, I'm like, I don't know if my body can hold up to more than 240 pounds on Bulgarian split squats. Like I might be able to, but I also don't really have much of a desire to go heavier than that. So how do I make this harder, right? Without necessarily adding a lot more reps, more weight or going much slower because I still want to focus on strength. Well, I can put it later in my workout. Yeah. So I can, we, you remember we've done this, we flip it on its head a little bit, the order that I just talked about and you do your not, not totally on its head, but the first two parts. So I do my, uh, my muscle building portion, the nine to 12 reps. I do that first. Then I do my strength and then I do my, my muscular endurance. And while I'm at that point, my central nervous system is going to be drained. And so I'm not going to be able to do as much total weight because I'm my central nerve. This is the reason why we put it earlier in the, in the workout earlier when we were talking about it was, Hey, you got to do this earlier so that you have more in the tank so that you can lift more weight so that you're increasing your absolute strength. But at a certain point you get to the point where like, I don't want to put more weight on here, but I still want to be pushing myself relative to what my ability is at this point. Well, if I've done, for instance, on an upper body day, I do a superset after my, you know, my warm up. I do my mobility, I do some like power stuff and then I come in and I do a superset of, you know, hamstring curls on the physio ball and skater squats or one leg squats or something like that for 10 to 12 reps. And then I go do my, my Bulgarian split squats. My legs are going to be relatively somewhat fatigued at that point. So I'm not going to be able to do, even if I'm doing six reps, I'm not going to be able to do the same amount of weight as I would have been able to do earlier in the workout. But it's going to feel to my body the same level of difficult. Mm -hmm. So I can get the same level of difficulty with less external load by putting it a little bit later in the workout and doing my strength work later. Now that is generally for people who have started to reach a point where the load that they need to use in order to build their strength is, has kind of surpassed what they're willing or or want to do at that point in their, in their workout. But it's still an interesting concept for anybody to kind of flip that on its head. So, all that being said, so when you're building exercise or you know programs, key components for you to think through, right? We talked about mobility. Then you're going to do power. Then you're going to do strength. You're going to start with your, um, with your strength. We're going to start with your major movements that are the most often. I'm going to say just the general thing. Most often are going to be the high work capacity things. Trying to push in that five to effort eight rep range. Then you're going to do your muscle building exercises, nine to 12 reps. And then you're going to do your muscular endurance accessory work, 12 to 15 reps. At the end of that, that is when you can also do conditioning. And now your muscular endurance, depending on your goals and all these kinds of things, you can throw some conditioning at the end there. You can also do an entirely different workout that is cardio, right? And, and we can talk a whole other time about like, all right, I'm going to, how do I do cardio, whatever. But if I'm just going to finish out my workout with all the components involved, all right, how do I do cardio? Well, there's not a best or a worst 
form of cardio. There are bad forms of cardio, like we talked about, that are you know box jumps for for reps or or burpees or just you know again these are high impact things that tend to not lend themselves to doing a lot of things. You can also do some strength endurance stuff as cardio. We talked about kettlebell swings. We talked about you know you can do med ball slams with a little bit lighter med ball for twenty reps or so. But you can also just pick your poison cardio cardio equipment. You know salt bikes, skier ropes, treadmill, whatever. And do like some interval type stuff. Okay. Interval meaning you have a certain amount of time that you're working. You have a certain amount of time that you're resting. And there's benefits to all sides of this where I do like a one-to-one work-to-rest ratio. I'm on for 20 seconds. I'm off for 20 seconds. There's one-to-two. I'm on for 20 seconds. I rest for 40 seconds or 10 seconds, 20 seconds. And there's some value the other way around. I'm on for 20 seconds. I'm off for 10 seconds. All of those have different value. All of those have different you know, importance and, and there's really not a right way to do it. Some of it's just to mix it up, dry it up, but you can throw conditioning at the end for five to eight minutes. Like it doesn't have to be like, okay, I'm going, but that's intensity, right? That's like what we call zone four cardio. And that's kind of building your, your, your bursts of energy capacity, which oftentimes as parents, right? That's what we need. We don't, we don't like, we want to be able to do cardio for, but we're not often like running for 40 minutes straight with our kids, <laughs> right. but we're, we might like need to do like some intensity, like, Oh, I'm, I'm playing chase now for 30 or 40 seconds. And then we take a little break, right? Like your kids don't have the capacity oftentimes, especially little ones to do long, long things. And so train for the life that you have. If you end up doing a lot of longer form stuff, then it's worth doing that. But even basketball, to use your example, right? You you go boom and then rest, right? You you go full full go for and and it's different spurts, right? There's times where it's like I go for ten seconds and I'm resting for twenty, and there's times where you're going for forty seconds and then resting for twenty. Yeah. And so you want to train all of those different capacities where it's like you, you do a quick back, you know, it's a big back and forth, right? Like you keep you guys, everybody keeps missing shots, and we get the rebound and this transition, and then you go back and forth, and it's forever until somebody makes a shot, and then you're like, oh, I freaking call a timeout. We're exhausted, right? That's the 40 seconds on, 20 seconds off. But there's times where you're like, all right, I got the ball, and I'm going to make a move. and Or I'm playing defense on a ball, we get a stop, and then I'm just going to kind of run up the court, and somebody else is going to go one-on-one on this guy, and I don't necessarily need to do it. So there's there's all those components. So train for all of them, and train for particularly the life that you have. So look at the life that you have. What do you do? And hopefully that's helpful. We can do a whole nother episode on cardio, but that's kind of my quick hit version of it. Look at that. We snuck it in under an hour. That's great. Thoughts, questions. I just like went there. That was a. I, I love that. I love that closing about training for the life you have, right? I, I think that makes a whole lot of sense, especially as it pertains to, to your brand and, and what you're looking to build. For sure. Well, and it's where we started with power, right? Train for the life you have what are you, what are the moments that you, you might have, right? It's, it's, you train like functional training has gotten a weird name or like, you know, it's kind of gone off the riz, but it's the the idea that like, I'm training to do the things. Why is it important to squat with two legs? Well, because you need to be able to get up and off of the couch or the toilet, which you do with two legs. Okay. Why do you train with one leg? Well, I run with one leg or I land with one leg. Why do I push things? Well, think about all the times you have to push things or, pull things or all the things in your life that you're doing, you do all of these movement patterns with regularity. So it's important for us to do them 
with regularity so that when they come up in our day-to-day lives, and they don't look exactly like that, right? But when they come up in our day-to-day lives, we are capable of doing them without pain or fear of injury because life is lived outside of the gym. So coming up with the perfect workout plan, it's perfect for you if it allows you to live the life you want to outside of the gym. Both from a functional, I'm able to do the things that I want to do, but also a confidence and, you know, your body and how you feel about that. All of these doesn't, the working out piece is the least important part, not the least important, but it's like fourth most important in terms of getting your body composition a certain way. But it's, it's absolutely unequivocally one of, if not the most important things you can do for your ability to live your life without fear of injury or pain or even not feeling like you have the energy to do what's asked of you. Because my kid, it's summer's coming up. My kid is going to want to run around outside all day. He's, he wants to even in the winter, but particularly in the summer, right? In the pool, he doesn't care if I have a six-pack in the pool. He doesn't even know. He does not care. He cares how long and how many times and how high I'm going to throw him up and down in the pool. <laughs> right? What's the most important? I want to know that if for some reason somebody lost attention to him and he fell in the pool, I could jump over. I'm like envisioning this in my in-law's pool. There's a like a half wall in between the, the patio and where the pool is. Could I run, jump over the half wall, one step, land, dive into the pool and get him without any hesitation? Like full sprint, do it, full go. And there's no doubt in my mind that I could do that without any sort of issue. All right, I want to be able to do that freely and without fear. And I want to be able to do it long beyond just this summer. Yeah. I want to I want to be able to do that for my grandkids. That's a 30-year play. That's the goal right there. That's a 30-year play. So does it matter if I squat 400 pounds right now, 500 pounds right now? No, it does not. What matters is can I chase my grandkids into the pool in 30 years? Well, how am I training? Am I training for that life? All of these components are vitally important. Remy, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you being here. Would love to continue to have you on doing this. Even just talking to you, like having somebody I'm talking to helps me uh, at least articulate my my brain scatteredness. Um, But yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. And thank you for making some of the things applicable to, to what I'm going through in, in my program yeah. too. For sure, man. Well, listen, I appreciate whoever's, uh, if you're listening, if you made it all the way through this, really appreciate this. Uh, feel free if this was valuable to you. I would love to hear from you. You can send me a message, leave a review, five-star review, all of these kinds of things. But send me a message on Instagram or Facebook um, at Jeff Delzell Fitness. The link is down in the, the bio. If you want to talk to Remy about his experience working with me, I'm sure he'd be up for Talking to Remy Ellis um, on uh, Instagram. He's, he also has a great podcast, Sprouting Success, um, which is all about mindset stuff to help keep you on track. But hopefully this is helpful. We'll be, hopefully be back with Remy again uh, for another one soon and then uh, have guest on next episode, Daniel Yoris, who is awesome. So he'll be on soon, but really appreciate it. Awesome.